Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, yes! Welcome to Manchester United. Anthony Martial! Wonderful run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Bruce! Yes! Rooney! Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 13 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson and as always I'm joined by Jack Tate as we discuss a win at home to Everton and preview the difficult away clash against title challenges Tottenham as well as the usual news, youth and loan roundup. Jack, not the most exciting of games but a 1-0 win against Everton off in a bogey team. Got to be pleased, don't we? Definitely. As you said, it was quite a boring game. The time seemed to fly by without much really happening to be honest but no, it was it was quite a pleasing win, Everton. I didn't know they'd only lost one away game all season before yesterday. Um, I was really shocked about that, I guess, because the focus has been on their bad home form. But yeah, you know, so they're, they're obviously a good side away from home. They have some really talented players, and I think we were all pretty worried before the game about the prospects of Lukaku and Daley Blind going up against each other. But Blind did really well. The whole team played okay, nothing special, and. We got the win, that's the most important thing. Yeah, we'll move especially onto Blind in a second. I thought he was our man of the match, although Sky and United gave it to Martial. Yeah, Everton, a lot of focus on their poor home form. And yeah, they've only lost, this is the second time they've lost away from home, but they've, they've had a lot of draws to stop them scoring. They're one of the top scoring sides in the league. If you think about it, they've got Lukaku, Barkley, and then you've got a really attacking right back in Seamus Coleman, who dealt with Martial quite well, but still, Martial prevailed, didn't he? Yeah, let's move on to Daily Blind. Was he your man of match as well as mine? 
Yeah, I think I think he had to be, to be honest. He would he, so well all day. And what I liked about it was I think quite a lot of centre backs when they go up against Lukaku, they try and match him physically and the, there's just no way you're gonna come out on top of that unless you're as big and as strong and as quick as he is. And I don't think there's any centre back in the in the league that, that can match him in all of those assets. So what I liked about what Blin tried to do is he just accepted that he's not physically as strong as Lukaku, but he just used his reading of the game, used his footballing sense, his footballing brain just to really play to his own strengths, let Lukaku almost like not dominate him, but let him use his strength where he could. There was quite a lot of times where Lukaku received the ball with his back to goal and he tried to use his strength to back into Blind and Blind kind of stepped off him a little bit and just looked to either intercept the pass or the shot. And there was one where Lukaku received the ball in the box from Baines and Blind just did the exact, exactly the right thing, didn't try and get too tight to him, just backed off a step and ended up blocking the show, went out for a corner and it was that pattern kept repeating the whole game. I thought he did really, really well. Yeah, similar to what Rio Ferdinand used to do. He just allowed the attacker like a yard of space. And then when they tried to push him backwards, he'd go in and reach around him and get the ball. And there was exactly that when Blind got slightly caught out <laughs> for pace by Lukaku. And instead, he, instead of getting caught out further, he just reached around his body, took the ball back and then charged forward through midfield, played it out and started an attack. And for, <laughs> for all of Van Hal's faults, Moving Daily Blind to centre-back has been a brilliant move. He's made one of the best defenders in terms of reading the game and starting attacks. That I'd say he's one of the best ball-playing centre-backs in the league at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any centre-back in the league. Possibly Toby Alderweireld, whose diagonal balls are just amazing. But I don't think there's any centre-back in the league that can really rival Blind in terms of his ability on the ball. Some of the passes that he picks out from the back are, are just brilliant. And so often, if either him or Smalling wins the ball, so often he's, he starts attacks for us because his passing is so much better than probably anyone else in our team, possibly bar a couple of our midfielders. Yeah, and the great thing about Blind is at times last season, I thought maybe he's not made for United. But even in centre-back this season, he's really showed... He still showed his versatility because he's still moving to left-back at some points during the season. And plus, if we do by a centre-back in the summer. He's still an option at centre-back as a ball-playing defender. Plus, given what he showed, the qualities at centre-back and occasionally when he's been played in midfield, he's still an OK midfielder. Plus, he's a left-back. So, I think when we're looking at in terms of improving the squad in the coming years, a lot of people may have to be got rid of in a summer clear-out over the next few years. But Daley Blind's one who genuinely has to say he's that important to our side. He's played almost every game this season. Absolutely. It's been quite remarkable, really, because as you said last season, it looked as if he was a bit of a of an odd player at United. It looked like he wasn't going to be featuring much this season. And I think we all raised our eyebrows quite a lot when Van Gaal announced that he was going to be playing at centre-back at the start of the season. But it's been a masterstroke. Um, I'm just looking now and Daley Blind, I mean, this is according to Fox Sports, which might not be the most uh, reliable place, but it says that Daley Blind currently ranks ninth in the entire Premier League for possession stats. And for a centre-back, I think that's quite remarkable, especially when things like assists and chances created are taken into account, which obviously you don't expect a centre-back to get. So just shows you how important he's been for us this season. Yeah, and Van Gaal said he's only going to need two days off uh, after what looked like a pulled hamstring, but isn't. So he's only going to need two days off before coming back to training, and then, then he can continue playing in every single game this season. He His corners weren't great again, and Schneider had a little attempt. Let's move on to the midfield, uh, and then we'll go back to Marcus Rojo in a second. Schneiderlin, Carrick sometimes slowed down attacks, but particularly Schneiderlin, vital interceptions and blocks, weren't they? Yeah, I thought Schneiderlin had a good game. Carrick was actually strangely sloppy in possession at times. He gave the ball away quite cheaply on a couple of occasions, which obviously isn't very like him. But they they worked pretty well as a combination. There was like a potential for 
quite a lot of threat against Everton. And so they have Ross Barkley, who can be a real menace at times. Aaron Lennon, especially, was coming off his wing quite a bit as well. But no, they dealt with them quite well. They were pretty good on the ball. Uh, obviously, Schneiderlin, great diagonal to Mata was kind of the, the um, in the build-up to the goal was amazing. And his, his diagonal passes generally this season have been really, really good. So no, I, w- I was pleased with the way they played. They were solid, if unspectacular. Moving forward, I, I thought Schneiderlin was good, but as I said, slow things down a bit. So maybe you want, when Ander Herrera is coming back in the next few weeks and he came on as a sub for Carrick, and maybe you want one of them in Herrera, as we've all asked for quite a lot this season. Moving up the pitch, Martial Rashford, they're really blossoming as a partnership. So good to watch. The great thing about Martial's goal is that if that had been at the start of the season, we would have been raving about how composed and calm and what a finish. But it's become so natural now to expect that from Martial. I think he's got three in his last four games that a brilliant finish from what you'd expect from a very experienced centre forward is just natural for him. And then moving on to Rashford, his hold-up play was genuinely superb. We saw it against Arsenal in his first Premier League game when he held it up for Herrera and then Herrera scored the third goal. Rashford's game intelligence is astoundingly good for an 18-year-old who wasn't expected to break through this season. Yeah, absolutely. Martial was a real menace all day. I know he was, a lot of people's vote for man of the match and he was definitely a contender. He would just caused Seamus Coleman problems all day. As you said, Seamus Coleman is no pushover by any means. One of the best right backs in the league and they had, they had a good battle all day, but Martial ultimately came out on top. I really like him playing in that, um, kind of inside left or left wing position. When he gets on the ball, it gives him a little bit more freedom because he often, it doesn't have his back to goal. And when he gets turned and starts running at players, I mean, he's almost unstoppable at times. His close dribbling, especially at such a young age, is just incredible. And then, as you said, Rashford was was brilliant again. He's been different to what I expected, actually, because once I saw, after I saw him against Midtjylland, um, and a couple of times I've seen him before for the under 21s, I expected him to just be someone who will look to run in behind all the time. And although he has been doing that as well, his hold up play has been a lot better than I expected. He's adapted well to playing against different opposition and and having to employ kind of different tactics. Um, whether they're playing high lines and then running behind or as Everton were doing yesterday and he was forced to kind of take get the ball with his back to goal he's equally astute when he needs to do that and that back heel he was trying it all day I think he tried it four <laughs> times and uh, finally it came off perfectly in the lead up to the goal to uh, Fosu Mensa so I was really pleased for him for that Yeah it came off once before to Martial and then Martial lost the ball with about five defenders crowded around it came off then and Fosu Mensa we'll move on to him in a second with a brilliant cross to Martial to finish it off Firstly, let's go to Marcus Rojo. Noel Alberto asks, he saw an article in the week saying Rojo's been Van Gaal's worst signing, which is hard when you're competing against people like Falcao and Di Maria. But is it too harsh or is it the truth? He was really quite terrible in the first half before he got taken off of Fosu Mensa. I think maybe it's a little bit harsh to say he's the worst ever signing. As you said, there has been some real stinkers in, in the three or four transfer windows that Van Gaal has had. But he is definitely up there, I think. He's incredibly inconsistent. I remember, I think it was the second Manchester derby last season. I might be wrong there, but I remember him having a superb game. Pretty much every time the Manchester City player he was marking, I can't remember who it was now, got the ball. It was just straight in there. He was winning tackle after tackle after tackle, and he really had a stunning game. Yeah, um, I remember one of the derbies last season. He was fantastic. I assume you're about to say this, and then he has performances like this, and it, it, it's not even just periods or, or form. It's literally one game this, one game that, one game this, and... It's quite wrong because even in the middle of the game, 
they'll put in this fantastic curling ball that's just waiting to be hit with a header. And then there was one where it came over, and instead of taking it down and crossing it, he tried to volley it as a shot, and it just he sliced it right into Rosette. Absolutely. It's it's quite incredible that a player can have so many kind of ups and downs within a season, within a few weeks, within even some sometimes a single games, as you said. But the problem for me with Rojo is he's just a bit too rash a lot of the time. He likes to dive into challenges quite a lot. And against people like Gerard Deleuze, who, who he was playing against yesterday, that have got quick feet and have got a lot of pace, he's, he gets caught out quite often. Often I feel when he gets the ball, he's, he's quite one-dimensional. It's almost get the ball, receive the ball from either a centre-back or a centre-mid open your body up and then just look to pump it down the line. I just think that he's someone who has has never really lived up to his... I mean, he didn't have like a world-class reputation or anything when he came here, but he's, we, I think we all expect him to just progress a bit more than he has, and it's never really materialised. I mean, I guess some leeway has to be given because he's been in and out of the team a bit. He's been playing in uh, centre-back and left-back, but at the same time, I think we all expected a bit more, and rightly so, we've all been quite disappointed with him. Yeah, it is harsh to call him the worst signing ever, but especially for 15 million, whereas D. Rue is 59.7 million. But yeah, it's that inconsistency, and it just seems like, as you just mentioned, he hasn't improved at all. You'd expect, and it's the same case with Darwin in terms of his crossing, you'd expect the crossing of both of those two to have massively improved when they've been told this is in Rojo's case, so they're going to play at fullback. You'd expect them to work on their crossing and improve it, but. We haven't seen it yet. Let's move on to something more positive. Fosu Mensa, what a second half he had. Excellent at both right-back and centre-back in attack and defence. Um, composed on the ball, gave one bad pass away, which was a bit nervy and looked to have let them score the equaliser. But apart from that, just sensational. A good cross for the goal, goal-line clearance too to keep us in it and keep us in the lead. He's managed to progress from under-18s to under-19s to under-21s seamlessly and look comfortable wherever he's progressed to. And the first game, I think he came on against Arsenal as a sub for his debut. He looked a bit nervous, but he's managed to settle into the first team. And I don't think I'm exaggerating here. I might be, but I don't think I am when I say he's settled quite perfectly and he looks like he belongs in this first team. Can he carry on here in future games? I don't really see why not. I mean, I think if there was going to be any kind of nerves or any trouble with him, kind of settling in, it would have happened already. Like, like you said, he looked a little bit nervous at times in the Arsenal game, but even then, we saw flashes of, of what he could do. There was times where he got the ball and some of his... He's just so, so powerful. I can't believe it. For such a young a young player to be so powerful at his age is just incredible, really. Like he's Physically, he's already at the standard you'd expect of a Premier League fullback or centre-back. He said he, he was brilliant when he came on, you say. And it was interesting, actually, for once, some of the, something off match of the day is actually something that I agree with. Troy Deeney, was on match of the day two last night and he was saying that he, when he played against Fosu Mensah for a while in the Man United-Watford game, he was just a nightmare to play against because he was constantly harrying, harassing him and he said almost as soon as, as they were matched up against each other, Fosu Mensah left, left a heavy challenge on him. And Dini said he loved it because that's, you know, it, it, it showed him that Fosu Mensah was going to be right on him whenever he got the ball and I think that just shows like that's not what you'd expect from an 18-year-old. You might expect him to be a bit nervous, not wanting to commit to any challenges, don't want to make a mistake, but he just seems to have no fear at all. And he's just the latest in quite a few success stories from the academy this season. I'm really, really pleased for him. Yeah, his physicality is a level above the people in his age group. But it's not just that. The composure he shows when he's on the ball is just so surprising. Every every game where he comes in, the composure that he shows... and. It's something that we could definitely do with because a sort of more physical version of Daily Blind 
and quicker, maybe not as good in terms of ball playing. But Fosu Mensah really is one of his key attributes, uh, the ability to play out defence and be calm because he can play in midfield as well. I don't think he is that similar to Rio Ferdinand, but in terms of those key things, he is fairly similar. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got some stats here. I mean, I wasn't sure whether to compare him to fullbacks or centre-backs because he can play both. But I did fullbacks, and obviously he's only played 70 minutes, so we need to take him with a bit of a pinch of salt because it isn't as big a um, kind of sample size. But he actually incredibly has 100% um, win rate in duels in the Premier League in the in the uh, what, I think three or four games that he's played, which is quite incredible for an 18. Yeah. He averages 3.86 tackles one per 90 minutes, which is more than Azpilicueta, Monreal, Kyle Walker or Hector Bellerin can boast. He also has the most interceptions per 90 minutes in, in all of those and he's made no defensive errors. Obviously, that's only playing 70 minutes so you would expect that but I think it just shows like that although he might not have played a lot, he, the way he's fit into the team has been, as you say, seamless and I think he's done just as good if not a be- better job than any one of our senior fullbacks have done at any point in this season. That versatility is really going to help him if Van Gaal stays next season um, and in the rest of this season. The fact he can play right back, centre back, and as a defensive midfielder is, in terms of getting chances under Van Gaal, he loves that, doesn't he? I mean, you show it with David Blind and Marcus Rojo. He particularly signed Rojo so that because he wanted a centre back, he could also play as a fullback, and that's partly why I think he still kind of persists with Phil Jones as well because he can play centre-back, right-back and central defensive midfield. Overall, the game was fine, wasn't it? Nothing special, but the before the game, the pre-match was genuinely pretty special. So Bobby Charlton, what a brilliant way to commemorate who I think is our greatest player. And he was so moved. He was in tears, or he had tears in his eyes, standing in the centre circle and he just stood there applauding the crowd like he never wanted that moment to stop and it, it really was the perfect way to honour him. He might not be seen as the best in, ever in terms of quality, best Ronaldo Cantona, in my eyes the greatest ever ahead of gigs and his way. <laughs> he was so he was so moved by it that he just stood there applauding and his wife quickly had to move him on before we were delayed by kickoff for about five minutes. Totally agree, yeah. I think he's definitely our biggest ever legend ahead of Ryan Giggs as well. You know, 249 goals from midfield is just incredible. And I think it really was the perfect way to round off kind of his time at Manchester United because, he, you know, he's still so involved in the club. He goes to every single game. And for him now to be able to sit in that director's box with his name written emblazoned on the stand above him, I think is just such a, a really nice touch and a, a fitting way to tribute who is, I think, our biggest legend ever. And it was lovely to see him really immersing himself in that. And as you say, he was on the verge of tears by the time he was walking off the pitch. So I think to see someone still so involved in the club after all these years, everything he's done for the club, it was great that he now has a permanent kind of structure named after him. It also raises the question of uh, who will that last stand be named after? It's going to have to be someone very, very special now because we've got the Stretford end, Sir Alex Ferguson stand, the Sir Bobby Charlton stand. There's just one left. Yeah, um, well, well, we'll see. Maybe it'll be Anthony Martial in 20 years' time. <laughs> when he scores his 400th goal for the club. <laughs> uh, in the news this week, United off for China for pre-season, playing twice in less than two weeks against Manchester City and Borussia Dortmund. Louis van Gaal had a huge role in the organisation of the tour, as has been reported this week. Despite rumours of his future, van Gaal got the tour continually decreased in length and intensity, very sensibly. Planned so much that training could take place at 7am or 9pm to get the least humidity. It, as I said, it, it does seem very sensible, even if he's not in charge. 
under Ferguson and Moyes, it seemed that they just sort of signed off on whatever happened and didn't really think about the consequences of four weeks in China playing ridiculous amounts of game in the humidity. But whether it's Van Gaal or someone else to start next season will be much easier to deal with because of that. Angel Di Maria and Louis Van Gaal have had a small bout of words in the media this week. Uh, Di Maria told BBC's Football Focus that it was Van Gaal's fault he couldn't settle because he continually changed his position. Van Gaal said Di Maria lacks self-criticism. Di Maria has a point that he should have probably been used in his best position, but I have to side with Van Gaal here. He was bought for a, a club record fee, refused to learn the language, continued picked up little muscle injuries virtually at the end of every game. And for 60 million, no matter if it was too much or not, I expected one of the best players in the world, a catalyst for greatness at our club, someone to finally fill that number seven void and instead spineless, went to League One. What do you think, Jack? I have to side with Van Gaal there as well. I think if you're a £60 million player, even if you're not playing in your exact best position, whether you're playing through the middle or maybe wide right or wide left, you still got to show us all why you're worth £60 million. And apart from one or two moments when he first joined, I don't think he ever even got close to doing that. And at the end of the day, he's in a team of 11 players. And if the manager puts you somewhere that maybe isn't your exactly favoured position you still got to perform on the day and it seems for half the season that he was just uninterested and that he had PSG on his mind for pretty much the whole season. You know, I do have some sympathy with him because maybe, you know, we don't know what was said in the negotiation. Maybe he was promised to play in a certain position or maybe he just assumed that he was because he was probably the star name in our team. But no, I, I have I, I have little sympathy for him. And to be honest with you, I think PSG was the move he wanted all along. We came around a summer before PSG were winning too and he thought he'd give it a go but I think he always wanted to go to Paris. Yeah, that sounds about right. Another Lambasti player, Marin Fellaini, thinks that the huge criticism on him constantly could be because he signed alongside David Moyes. Again, he has a point. He's definitely over-criticised as we've discussed a lot on this podcast uh, since starting. He's the opposite to Demery really, isn't he? Uh, a player that works incredibly hard but has a distinct lack of talent. Jesse Lingard says he still gets advice from Rio Ferdinand and Sir Alex Ferguson has labelled Marcus Rashford as one of the best in years from the United youth setup. Nemanja Vidic insists that United must and will focus on themselves instead of Guardiola and City and we actually mentioned this in our managerial special which will release at some point in the next few weeks. Vidic has got it right here hasn't he that we can't be focusing on Guardiola or City and just need to focus on it and try to win the league ourselves and not pay attention to them. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, There's no point in us worrying about what Manchester City are doing or might do in the future. We just need to focus on ourselves and make sure we do what's right for us because if we just make decisions based on what they do, then I mean, we're just playing into their hands, to be honest. Um, so I, know I, to- I totally agree with Vidic. And Jack, how have our loan players been doing this week? Well, as always, as it seems, there was one standout from Ashley Fletcher who not only scored at the weekend, but that was at Wembley in the final of the Johnston Paint Trophy. He scored wild, had a had a great game for Barnsley as they won the trophy, being Oxford 3-2 in the final. So congratulations to Ashley Fletcher and Barnsley. It's great to see the second uh, United loanee actually winning some silverware after Victor Valdez won the Belgian Cup with Standard Liège a couple of weeks ago. Elsewhere, it was a bit more depressing for, unfortunately, for United loan players. James Wilson played 48 minutes as Brighton drew 2-2 with Burnley. A bit of controversy in that game, thanks to Joey Barton, who else? But Wilson was a bit of an isolated figure for a lot of the game. Did nothing wrong, but nothing spectacular. Nick Powell is currently out injured at Hull. They did win 4-0, but he obviously wasn't involved due to his injury. Uh, Dean Henderson, the goalkeeper on loan at Stockport, unfortunately wasn't in the squad. Uh, they lost 2-0. Tyler Blackett, again, 
how many more times can we say how stupid this loan appears? Um, he's completely frozen out at Celtic. Hasn't had a minute in months. Um, they won 3-1. I think they're now seven points clear at the top of the Scottish table. But unfortunately, Blackett has no part to play. And at this point, we might as well just recall him, put him back in the under-21s because he's not getting anything out of being up there on his own, not getting any minutes. Kieran O'Hara and Victor Valdez both didn't play at the weekend. Valdez wasn't actually in the standard Liège squad and Kieran O'Hara went back to his role as a subkeeper in the Morgan squad. Yeah, Kevin O'Hara had a great two games while the first team keeper was suspended. A bit disappointing not to see him allowed a chance to continue. Ashley Fletcher, what a low move he's having. A bit of silverware. Valdez, as you mentioned, got a bit of silverware. Maybe Blackett, if he stays till the end of the season, maybe he'll have a title win, won't he? Right, let's move on to previewing the Tottenham game at the weekend. A big game this. If we win this, the chances of top four are very much increased because after this, our run-in for the rest of the season is okay. Although, I guess, given our record against the small sides and against the big side, that's probably a bad thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Why can't we play the top uh, the top seven for our last seven games? That would just be uh, perfect the way we've, we've, we've played this season. But no, it would be a big step forward. Good feeling, I think, around the um, around the club at the moment. Obviously, we were really disappointed to go out Liverpool in the Europa League but then that that derby win at City was really really big because it just took us all out to the international break on not a high but feeling feeling upbeat um, it's always nice to get one over on your rivals and then that win against Everton was good as well because the kind of games you need to just keep that momentum going you know we didn't play brilliantly but we got the win it just increases the fans I think like good-ish feelings at the moment so if we can beat Tottenham I think as you said definitely the top four is uh, on the horizon possibly Manchester City don't know they're running off like exactly but I'm pretty sure it's tougher than ours they're very inconsistent this season so who knows what may happen obviously they just got Kevin De Bruyne back which may yeah that's a that's a big thing they've got West Brom at the weekend and they've got them at home so it's likely they'll win but Pulis has got West Brom uh, doing very well defensively they beat us didn't they absolutely But the chances of the top four for us are lessened hugely by the return of De Bruyne. I mean, you saw the weekend, granted they were playing Bournemouth, but the, the impact that De Bruyne has on that side is incredible. I think if he was not injured for the whole of the season. I guess other factors went into it. The Guardiola announcement, I think they would have had a, quite a large chance of maintaining their title challenge. In terms of the, the Tottenham game itself, two of the best defensive sides in the league. You say that, but also Tottenham are one of the best teams to watch. Uh, United less so. Uh, it's quite obvious who we have to worry about. Harry Kane, uh, what I'd give to sign him for United. And even De Gea won't be able to stop him, will he? Um, we saw with England and, and this week against Liverpool, Kane just constantly finishes into the side netting. He beat he beats Neuer, he beat Mignolet, and he beats everyone just by finishing so perfectly into the side netting. And his, his ability to turn people could be very dangerous against Smalling because... We've seen, I think it was against Newcastle in the 3-0 when he smartly gave away a penalty. He just likes to grab people, doesn't he? And if Kane turns him, then Smalling could be grabbing him very quickly and getting booked or sent off. But Kane's obviously the big threat. Anyone else? Maybe Ali and Dyer? Take Pochettino as well, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Take their whole whole team, the whole club at the moment. Um, no, yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Tottenham the whole season. I'm We've definitely got a lot to worry about defensively against against them. And that's the thing, although they do obviously have that standout player in Harry Kane, it's not just him. It is a real team effort at Tottenham. There's no real obvious weak points in their squad, you'd say. As you said, they've been brilliant defensively. Going forward, they're, they're really fluid, quick tempo. It's, it's going to cause us a lot of problems. I think 
our midfield pairing in that game is going to be really, really important because if we let them get quick passing into Harry Kane or Christian Eriksen or Deli Alley for that matter, then it could really be a tough game for us. I think the key to trying to stem that flow is is really to try and take Deli Alley out of the game. He's so important to Tottenham and he provides that really vital link between like Dyer and Dembele and Harry Kane. So it's going to be interesting, but hopefully we can just come out and play with no fear. If we can play with the same energy that we did against City, we've definitely got a chance. Yeah, if we want to be positive about it, Pochettino's Tottenham have never scored against United. Last Spurs home win against us was in terms of one. My final day of the season with Glenn Hoddle. Based on history, it's likely to be a draw, but based on Spurs, we've got to predict a loss, haven't we? Or are you being more positive? I would say probably a loss. I mean, it's tough to predict that we're going to win because Tottenham are just, they're just a cut above us at the moment, unfortunately. Obviously, they'd come off. What was a disappointing draw against Liverpool? That like, was a tough game. Pochettino was obviously very disappointed. The only thing maybe is that we could hope is that they may get a little bit nervous, obviously gunning for the title. Maybe that will haunt them, but it could work the other way and they might just be even more motivated than usual. So I would say a narrow loss, probably 1-0 or 2-1. If I'm being optimistic, I'd say draw. So let's move on to some questions. We've answered a few from Noel and from Danielle. Liam Head asks, is the year considered a success if United managed to win the Cup and finish fourth? What do you think? Oh, it's a tough one. If you offer me, if you're offering me that right now, then, then yes. If you'd have offered me it at the start of the season, I probably would have said no because it doesn't really represent much progress from last season. You know, we were in with the shout of winning the cup last year. Obviously, one bad performance against Arsenal ruined that. Um, and obviously, we still finished fourth last season. I think after the money we spent, after the guarded optimism, I think it's fair to say that we all had going into the start of the season, we were all quite excited about perhaps where where we might be able to go after kind of last season back in the Champions League. Then I think it's not a success, but from where we were at Christmas, it could have been far worse. Yeah, as you say, if you'd offered me that either now or even in November or December, I would I'd definitely take it now. But at the start of the season, yeah, guarded optimism is probably exactly the right phrase. We just had a very good end to the season, or not end to the season, but a very good April uh, where we beat City 4-2, beat Spurs 3-0. So we did a very good April and we went into the start of the season thinking this could be another great year. Maybe Van Gaal will keep his promise, get us fourth, then win the league and then win the Champions League and it, it all came crashing down. So now, yeah, obviously we take it. But at the start of the season, it can't be considered a success because of the position we were in at the start. Jack Hazard asks, who should leave the side in the summer? We've just said that Plint definitely can't leave. Narrow this down because there could be a lot of people who could leave. Two players who you want to see leave in the summer. Oh God, you put me on the spot here. I would say Rojo. He doesn't really offer us that much right now. There are better available options out there as a backup left back and or centre back. You know, he's had enough chances at United. He's never really taken them. And so I don't really see why he should deserve to really to stay any longer. As much as we've defended him, I think it is now time for Marouane Fellaini to move on. I think, although he's nowhere near as bad as most of our fans make out, his career just isn't destined to be at Manchester United, unfortunately. He's not the kind of player that, that will thrive here, I think. It's all the stranger that he gets so much game time because his style really is like the polar opposite to what Van Gaal is trying to create as much as we all don't like it. And so, yeah, I think it's just time for him to move on. He's wasting his career at Manchester United, really, because if he doesn't play, then obviously he's not getting any game time. When he does play, the fans will hate him. So I think it's time for him to move on. 
Yeah, I'd back that up. Fellaini got to move on. And I respect him hugely for the way he's stuck at it. And despite all the criticism from the fans, he's still working hard on the pitch. But yeah, I just think he has to go. Rojo, yeah, uh, there are definitely better options out there. I think we need to buy another versatile centre-back if he's going to go. And it'd be a very quick turnaround. But Matteo Darmian hasn't been... I think we need a better right-back than Darmian, whether it comes next year or in a few seasons' time. He's definitely not the Gary Neville replacement we were expecting after that great form at the start of the season. Dan Anchetta asks, this is non-United, did El Clasico live up to your expectations? Is it the best rivalry in football? It's the best game in terms of the quality that's on show. I think it always will be, or at least in the foreseeable future, will be kind of like the, the pinnacle of the game in terms of the personnel involved. The game was good to a point. I was hoping for maybe a few more goals. The El Clasico's in recent years have often been really lively affairs with just goals plenty because both teams aren't amazing defensively. But I mean, it was it, it was okay. It, it wasn't um, the best Clasico I've ever seen, but no, it was it wasn't too bad. The bit of late drama as well always helps. So no, it, it was pretty good. Yeah, I I don't know if it's the best rivalry in football, but it, it's certainly the best game to watch in terms of entertainment as you say uh, I think the best rivalry in football has to go to uh, Boca Juniors and River yeah, Boca River is probably the best and then Celtic Rangers is a, a classic and obviously United Liverpool uh, the one we're in is brilliant as well and then Fenerbahce Galatasaray simply for the sight in the stadium yeah uh, <laughs> Colin at Rojanaulo again asked the question if you had to choose would you take top four and keep Van Hall? or finish outside of the top four and get Mourinho in. Given I don't want Mourinho in at any cost, uh, but obviously I take top four and keep Van Hal. If I'm looking at it from a neutral point of view, it's quite hard. You either love Mourinho and want him in, or hate Mourinho and definitely don't want him in. Uh, so if you're looking at it from neutral, it's very hard to, but it'd probably be best for the club if we didn't finish in top four and get Mourinho in, in terms of quick success. Yeah, I was having trouble with this one as well. I think, thinking on the same lines as you, I don't really want Mourinho, but I think if we brought Mourinho in, he would then guarantee top four for the next couple of years. And I'm not sure we could guarantee top four the year after if Van Gaal was still there. So I think for the sake of the club generally, although I don't really want Mourinho, I think it would be the better alternative to Van Gaal staying, even if we weren't playing Champions League football. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening to Series 1, Episode 13 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. As we mentioned on the previous episode, we now surpassed 10,000 plays, so thank you very much for all your support. And we still haven't got the managerial special up for you, but it's almost edited, and we'll get that up for you as soon as possible. A quiet week where we don't have any replays. Hopefully we can get a result against Tottenham. Jack, where can we find you on Twitter? At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 or the podcast at UTD Weekly Pod P-O-D. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.